0: And after you find that, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Those two places, Galatians chapter 6 and then uh, Hebrews chapter 10. I want to kind of give you an introduction and then uh, get into uh, the first part of the message. Uh, This past week I was talking to Paula about uh, college days. And I shared with her uh, a class that I had that was a required class. Class that I I would not have uh, taken had it not been a required subject. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. There we go. Not only did I baptize Justin, I baptized myself up there. So I, I got my shirt wet, my pants got wet, and everything else. So uh but I'm happy. But I had a a biology requirement, a science requirement, and so I, I took that and the uh the best takeaway from that class was uh, we learned about ecosystems. And so we had a couple of uh class projects, and then one of those involved uh Leaving the class, going on some quote field trips and so forth, and we would go look at different ecosystems and defining those. And some of you know more about this than I do. And of course, uh, there is a, a literal rending of the um, rendering of the idea that uh, organisms have a community in which they interact and they're related, and they have some synergistic qualities. But then there's also a metaphorical sense of the word where there's an ecosystem of a network of people. And uh, it is a, um, an ecosystem of effectiveness, ecosystem of efficiency. But then there is also an ecosystem of, uh, of culture. Culture is one of those words that's thrown around a lot today with people where they t- speak about uh, having a, a good culture and every every relationship has a culture. Even individuals have a particular culture to them. Your family has a culture to it. You may have never thought about it. There's an, an ecosystem. There's a life. There are defining characteristics to your person as an individual. You have a signature that people know about you. Now, most people don't think about it, that not at length. And I hope not because they can be become critical. Uh, your marriage has an ecosystem. It has a culture. And hopefully that, that um, culture has grown and is improving. Your, your uh, family, enlarged family, your, your, the husband and wife and the children, they have, they have cultures. Businesses have cultures. Many times, people unknowingly they go back to certain restaurants or to certain businesses. Uh, you, some of you, will go to uh, more expensive places to shop because of the culture. It has nothing to do with the with um, with um, uh, paying more. It's not that you want to pay more money, but maybe they're called, they have a culture of cleanliness. Uh, there, there's one store uh, that Walmart wanted to pattern themselves after. And Walmart had become very cluttered. They were losing business. And so they went into this store and they began to see what they were doing. And they said, we need to to change and become more like them because these these people are are doing better. And so they enlarged their aisles and they didn't carry as many products and so forth because they they saw the culture. Now, now culture uh, has a behavior, but most of all, culture has a spirit you, you cannot you cannot put your your hand on it. Now local churches also have a culture, and when you walk into um, that church, uh, you you feel it. Now I'm not trying to be metaphysical here, please stay with me. Um, you sense it. there's a sense to it. Every single life group uh, on this campus has a different culture. Uh, it reflects the leader over time, and it reflects the composition of the people that are in there. And I think that we need to be aware of that. We need to be aware of the of the culture that we have, and, and learn to assess that and think about ourselves. Now, <clears throat> there's a lot of ways to to determine these things and to affect that in a church. Uh, there are a lot of seminars, there's a lot of books. Good night, you can go online today and and read books about how to, how to build your church, how to grow your church, but basically you can put them all into two categories. You have man's way and you have God's way. Um, one of the characteristics of man's way is that it's basically uh, like a business. I remember many years ago... That one one of the men that I was uh, listening to, he was talking about growing your church, and he began to talk about now, if you want to grow your church, you have to change from a shepherding model to a ranching model, and he began to talk about these characteristics, and I was a younger person, but but my spirit, my smallness, my spirit and my mind began to say, well, wait, now wait. Um, the word pastor, the word pastor comes from the word pasture, P-A-S-T-U-R-E, um, means shepherd. And uh, there their roles that he has there. He is to shepherd the people. And God didn't call the pastor to be a, a rancher. He called him to be a shepherd. I'm not saying there's not some things you can learn from those. But once you sell out to those types of of, of growing the church and it becomes like, like a business, you, you become in danger. Now, they can be effective in terms of, of the end purpose. Uh, one man that had greatly influenced my life uh, along these lines, he, he, he shared with us one time, he said, remember that, that you're not trying to build a crowd, you're trying to build an army. And that really helped me. And, uh, you know, you can do that in a number of ways, but you're, you're trying to build spiritually mature people that will go out and reach other people with the gospel. Now, whenever man does something, it's always natural. Whenever God does something, it's supernatural. And if you want God's culture and your family and your friendships, friendships have a culture. Uh, some of you, your friendships are characterized by by fun. Some of them are by deep conversations, etc. But if you want God's handprint uh, to cultivate in our church, that's what I'm going to talk about for a few minutes, then we must honor the ways of God. You must honor the ways of God. There's a scripture in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18 When Jesus said this, he said, I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now some have taken that scripture and said, Well, when Jesus said that, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, that that Jesus was going to build the church upon Peter which is a very poor substitute. Peter denied the Lord and so many things. Contextually, right before that verse, in verse 17, verse 16, Peter had confessed the deity of Christ, that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee. That, That didn't come from you. He said, That came from my heavenly Father. And he said, Thou art Peter. Now, his real name was Simon. In fact, whenever, whenever Peter got into trouble, Jesus called him Simon to remind him, Oh, Simon. Uh, you know what word Simon means? It means little pebble. You know what the word Peter means? It comes from the Greek word petros. It means like, like a, a, a big bedrock, maybe as big as this stage, a foundation stone, even maybe as big as this building even or larger. It's a foundation stone, but it's not built upon a man. It's built upon Jesus and our trust in him. Thou art Peter and upon this rock, upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Watch this. Jesus said, I will build my church. And there are some observations in that text. First of all, that the church belongs to Jesus, not us. I will build my church. He redeemed it. He shed his blood for the church. The church belongs to Jesus. I know we say our church, and and that's a good thing. We want to have a sense of ownership, but ultimately, the church belongs to Jesus Christ. Local churches that believe in the grace of God and accept the Bible as the authority for their ministry, the Bible says those churches, they, they belong to God. The second observation I wrote down was this, that... God will build his church and has assumed the responsibility for the developing and the growth of that church. I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now I've explained that before, but let me say it again. Uh, the gates have the idea of, of that we're assaulting hell. You don't bring your gates with you. When you're in the army, say, hey, bring the gates along with us. No, the gates are where you're hiding behind. And whenever we're going out and doing the work of God, listen, you're going to have some opposition. Because we're on Satan's territory. But that's why we have God, and he's there to help us. So here we have his word, we have his ways, and as you and I honor The Word of God, and we honor the presence of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. He will bless us. Now, through this summer, and I never intended on doing this, but they've all been different. They've had the same theme, but they had a different uh, flow and and a different uh, application each week. We talked about uh, sowing and reaping. We talked about investing and inviting. And now we are at the conclusion of this paragraph, and he gives a a very strong directive on how to apply uh, this this sowing and reaping. And it has to do with reaching people for Jesus Christ and also on establishing a healthy church. Now would you look at the text with me this morning in Galatians chapter 6 and look at verse 6. Galatians 6 and verse 6. Pardon me, excuse me. And uh, the title of the message is How to Bless Your Church Family. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 6. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all things. Now, the rest of the passage is an explanation of this. And what Paul is telling them is he's saying, those that minister to you, I want you to take care of them. That's what he's saying. And the word communicate needs to fellowship through sharing of your resources. When people teach you, I want you to, to honor them. We take love offerings for people that come in they minister to us and help us. And here, here's the principle. He says, what you, what you sow, you're going to get back. Don't be afraid to give. Listen, you cannot outgive God. You cannot outgive God. When you're stingy, you're going to get a stingy harvest. When you sow a lot, you're going to reap a lot. Verse 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit, according to the Holy Spirit's direction... The Bible says, "Shall he, uh, uh, um, shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting, and let us not be weary in well doing. For a new season we shall reap if we faint not." And the idea there is, don't get discouraged in doing well, in doing good, in doing right. Because God, you will reap the harvest, and there's a season, and we talked about that. There is a due season. Man, keep, keep on sowing. You know, it's a mistake for a farmer to, to sow the seed and say, well, let me go harvest it this afternoon. God will give you the harvest when you need the harvest. And here's our, our text this morning. As we have, therefore, opportunity, and here he says it again, let us do good. He said there in verse 9, he talks about well-doing, Forgive me. And he repeats it again here in verse 10. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. So doing good unto all men has to do with evangelism. It gives you a platform for evangelism. That doing good is not the gospel. It's a result of the gospel. But when you serve people and you have a servant's spirit. Now you can serve people and not have a servant's heart. Someone said wisely that you know you're a servant when you're treated like one and you don't react. Don't call yourself a servant if you get upset because uh, people treated you wrong. God called us to be servants. And sometimes that, that attitude will be tested. And so do good unto all men. These are... Everybody, lost people included. And I took that thesis and drove that down as best I could. You're sowing seeds of ministry so that you because they're watching us so that you can give the gospel and give the gospel to everybody, but particularly with the people that are closest to you, that are rejecting the gospel, they cannot deny your life. They cannot deny the change that God has made, and they're watching you. We talked about First Peter chapter three, how, how a, a a husband that doesn't want the gospel, how he's watching his wife, and in First Peter two, how that someone uh, that denies the gospel in another person's life, how in the word uh, in the Bible is they behold, they're beholding you. And the word is very fascinating there. It means they are carefully watching you. Did you know that lost people have higher standards for you than they do themselves? And this is not just about being honest. This is about being generous. This is about doing good. Did you know that um, Jesus told us to go the second mile? Because the first mile is, is, is a mile of obligation. The second mile is a mile of opportunity. Your witness does not kick you in until the second mile. That's what he's saying. Now, today, you can get a witness on the first mile. But when you go the second mile, it's why are you doing this? And, and that works, my friend. This is what Jesus taught. And then he says, Do good unto all, especially unto the household. Of faith, we're to do good, especially to Christians, to brothers and sisters in Christ. So, serving people, and it's not just doing good; it's it's doing it with a servant's heart. Serving people gives us a hearing to sow the gospel, and also strengthens the local church. You see, when Jesus died, he paid for the church with his blood. And and God loves the church because his son purchased it. But he also loves the church because the church is composed of his sons and daughters. And he loves you. God loves you. He loves his people. He calls his saints. And we can call him, as Galatians says, Abba Father. It's a very intimate term. Some people say it's disrespectful. But not at all. He's my father. He's my father. It's my, favorite. it's my favorite term for God. He's my father. Now, I want you to look in your Bible there at verse 10. Do good and especially unto them who are the household of faith. Now, we believe in the inspiration of Scripture. That means that God superintended the writing of, of the words, though though men wrote the words, God superintended their writing through the Holy Spirit of God, and ultimately, God wrote the scriptures, though human men wrote the Bible, it was God that wrote those words through them, and he didn't just write ideas and concepts, he gave them the words, and even in Matthew chapter 5, I think it's in verse 17, it says, even the jots and the tittles. It has the idea of, of crossing the I and the dotting of the T. That's the best I can come up with in the Hebrew. They're very small nuances. You, you could not know the difference if you were to put them up on the screen for you. The Holy Spirit uh, subscribes it so close. Now, what is the household of faith? I want you to look at this, and I want to spend some time on this morning. The word household there denotes your home. Now, now stay with me. Get this. It's your home, but specifically it's the people in the home. It's not the house. It's your home. Now listen. Listen carefully. There's a difference in a house and a home. Your house is where you put your home. What he's saying here is in your household, he's talking about the people. He says, do good, especially under the household of faith. So what, he, what he's saying here are the people. Do good to the people. This is not a generality. This morning as I was praying over this, I, I, I thought about this and uh, what, hadn't thought of it until I was preparing. But I thought about a song that we had uh, in our wedding. And um, I thought about how that when uh, um, Ruth was so discouraged and she had gone down to Moab and she'd lost her husband. She'd lost her two sons. And um, I'm sorry, that wasn't, that wasn't Ruth. That was her, her mother-in-law. And so um, she, she kissed her two daughters-in-law. And Orpah left. By the way, that's who Oprah Winfrey was named after. Did you know that? It really was. But when they got they mixed her her letters up. But Ruth refused to leave Naomi. Naomi said, you need to go on. And and she was bitter. And um, in fact, at the end of chapter 1 in Ruth, she said, call me bitter. I'm, I'm not a blessing anymore. She was so angry at God. But uh, Ruth said, no, I'm staying with you. But I want to read to you in Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Listen, Ruth said, "Um, Naomi, entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God shall be my God. Where thou... Dias will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also if aught but death part thee and me. And I remember at our wedding, we had uh, one of my friends sang that song, Whither Thou Goest, I Will Go. Whither Thou Lodgest, I Will go. I don't know why I didn't sing it. I could sing it better than him, but I let him do it. And uh, well, what a, what a, what a pronouncement of faith and affection. You see, the local church is, is not a machine. The local church is not an organization. The local church is an organism. It's built up of people. I was listening to a, a very well-known preacher uh, this past week. And he's a good preacher, but, but he's just absent affection. Uh, in his preaching and to the people and there's no tenderness there's no love there's no affection and um, he, he can exposit the scripture he's very good with that but there, there's a harshness there's there's an edge to his voice and I begin to think and, and I examine my own heart first and I thought you know God has called you listen God's called you to be a shepherd God's called you to to love those people and to care for those people, the people in your church, and to love them. And by the way, God's called you to love each other and to love one another. this, This is not, now, by the way, an organism is organized. If it's not, it becomes cancer. There is a form of organization. But a local church has life. A local church has love, a local church has, has a spirit, it has, it has a culture, it has the Holy Spirit, but it also has something that there is an intangible there, and it is a blessing of God. Do good unto all, especially those who are the household, the household. It's not just the house, it's the home. This is home. I enjoy coming to church. It's not, I look forward to the program. I look forward to seeing people. You minister to me. I, I enjoy talking to you. You're a blessing to me. In 1 Timothy, by the way, you you, you you learn the words in the Bible by comparing their usage in other places. In 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8, the same word is used when, Paul wrote Timothy and said, If any, provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house. Of his own house. He's denied the faith, and he's worse than an infidel. Now, what's he talking about? His own house. That's the same word there for household. Of his own house. His own household. It's his immediate family. Now, stay with me. Do good, especially unto those of the household of faith. We are like a family. We're brothers and sisters. Paul Paul was a spiritual father to some. When I was up in Virginia, and Paula was up in Virginia, we we didn't. We were away from our parents. We were away from brothers and, and, and sisters, and so forth. And and, and w- there was some isolation there. And we found some new brothers and sisters, and I found some, some that became. Fathers, I found mentors, and and the local church was a blessing to us. Not just, it, yes, it had a purpose. Yes, it had a mission. And you must you must realize that, that the church has a mission. But with that mission it is that we're a house, we're a household of faith. In Ephesians chapter two and verse nineteen. Paul said, Now therefore you're no more strangers and foreigners. When the Gentiles and the Greeks went into Jerusalem, uh, they they were outcasts. They were strangers. They were aliens. They were foreigners. And if they wanted to associate with the God of the Hebrews, it, it was even if they began to confess that, it, it was just hard to break in. Paul told them, this is why he he talks in chapter 2 about there's one body there. There's no Jew, no Gentile. There's one man, he says. Now, therefore, you're no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens. You know what that word means? It means people from the same town. Fellow citizens with the saints, with the saints. We've been saved. We have the Spirit of God in us. We're we're people. We're going to heaven. This is our home. And look, and of the household of God right now. And he writes at the church of Ephesus. He said, you're, you're in the same family. You have the same Holy Spirit. You have the same Father. You have the same Bible. And if you're of the household of God. You have brothers and sisters there. You have people that are like your grandparents. People that are like your fathers. That's what he's saying. Do good unto all, especially of the household of faith. And all through all through the New Testament is this image of the church as a family. First Timothy chapter three and verse fifteen, he says, "If I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest behave thyself." In the house of God, in the house of God. He's not talking about the brick and mortar. He's saying the, God has redeemed us, he inhabits us through the Holy Spirit. This if you're saved, the same Holy Spirit that inhabits me inhabits you and has given me a love for you. And I love my brothers and sisters that are in other churches. And I love my brothers and sisters that that may not be Baptist. We're in the same house. But in terms of this local congregation, listen, you're not going to do good in a mechanical, legalistic way and be a blessing until you realize that, hey, this is my family. This is my family. I'm not saying... You ignore your family i 'm not talking about a Jim Jones type of thing. Some of you don 't know what that means. Older people know what i 'm talking about but this this is a family. We sang the song the family of god there 's some great lines in there, First Peter chapter two and verse five. ye also are lively stones, living stones when god God created. a a temple, we we, we make the temple, but we're not just these cold, hard, inanimate objects. We're living stones. And we're built up, watch this, a spiritual house. There's meaning, there's feeling, there's reality here. We composite the family of God, this spiritual home. A holy priesthood. I don't have time to comment on all of this. And here's our purpose to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Every week, we come to do that. And you know, my fear is sometimes people think they only do that through music. You do, listen, when, when, when there's preaching, your response to the preaching, not just at the end of the sermon, but during, listen, when I'm preaching now. When you're listening to this and you hear about being a household, you say, oh, God, I'm not doing that. What is your response to that? That becomes a worshipful response. God, thank you so much for my brothers, my sisters, my my spiritual grandparents, my spiritual fathers and mothers here. Thank you for them. Help me to serve them. Give me a servant's heart. That's a worshipful response in life groups and so forth. Do good unto all, Galatians sixteen says, especially of the household, watch this, of faith. Because the doorway to get into the household is by grace through faith. God did the hard part. And the key is faith. Faith is not a work. Faith is resting. I'm resting in this chair. The chair's doing the work. I'm resting. My favorite synonym for faith is, is rest. Now, there is a sense where faith is a verb. That's after you're saved and you're trusting God for things. But in salvation, it's not a verb. I'm resting. I like this scripture in Second Peter 1 and verse 1. Simon Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To them that have obtained, and we obtain it by grace, as you'll see, like precious faith with us through the righteousness of god and our savior jesus christ we only get that by we don't attain it we obtain it by by faith get his righteousness and i want you to notice that line like precious faith it's one word in the greek language and it means that which is equally valuable equally precious my faith is not better than yours Sometimes you meet people and they may have, you have weak faith, you have strong faith, and there are different stages of faith. Sometimes our faith is feeble. I, I feel so often like the man in, in the Gospel of Mark when he, he needed help with his son. And he came to Jesus and said, I need help with my sick son. And he said, Lord, uh, help my faith. Lord, help my faith. I feel like that Sometimes. But I've come to Jesus as on February the eighteenth, nineteen sixty eight, as a nine year old boy. And I trusted him as my Savior. And with all that I had I put my faith in him to be saved. When did you do that? When did you trust him? Not join the church, not be baptized, not turn over a new leaf, not when you were confirmed. When did you put your faith in Christ? And since then, have you been baptized? Baptism is for believers. Baptism doesn't make you a Christian. It's a picture. I, I don't wear a wedding band to to be married. I wear it because I'm married. In fact, you don't need a wedding band to be married. But I wear a wedding band to tell other people I belong to someone else. When Paula wears hers, some people can see externally that she belongs to someone else. And that's what happens when people are baptized. It's a picture. It's the the outside expression of an internal experience. You need to be baptized. If you've never been baptized since you got saved, some people were baptized, but they got saved later, you need to trust Christ and, and be baptized. Like precious faith. I like that. We're in a household of faith. We're just weak. Oh, we didn't bring anything to Jesus but our faith. Nobody's better than anybody else in here. We don't have anything to bring to Him but our sins. And we come to Him and say, God, just save me. I don't have anything to give to you but, but my wicked heart. Would you save me? In the middle of Paul's prayer, when he's praying, he teaches us to pray in Ephesians 3, verses 14 and 15. He says, For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. We have a Father in heaven. I have a Father in heaven. You have a Father in heaven. And you're, you're His sons. You're His daughters. If you've been redeemed, if you put your faith in Him, we are a household household. A household of faith. This this is really simple. Church is not complex. Evangelism is not complex. It's one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. The Bible says in Matthew six and verse nine, where Jesus was teaching us how to pray. After this manner, therefore pray our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Our Father. Notice the plural there, our. Our Father, not my Father. It's okay to say that, but if you've been saved, it's our Father, and we are His children. Do good unto all, especially those who are the household, the people, not the institution. The people. If this place burned down, we would go somewhere else, and because the church is the people. The household of faith. One of the evidences of a new birth is that you you love your family. You love your Christian family. By the way, when you're saved, you love everybody. It changes you. But in particular, you, you love God's people because they're in your family. First John chapter three verses fourteen and fifteen, we know that we have passed from death unto life. Well how do you know that? because there's an external evidence of an internal reality because we love the brethren and the sister too. we love the brothers and sisters. he that loveth not his brother abideth in death listen if you can just rip apart other people and Christians and get on the phone and talk about people in this church or other churches, something is wrong with you. Something's wrong. Something's not right. It may be the Bible says that you abide in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. Remember in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said that hating someone is like murder. And why did he say that? Because when you hate somebody, you wish they didn't exist. That's in your heart. Murder is just the physical reality of making it happen. You know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 15 See that none render evil for evil unto any man. Unto any man. But ever follow that which is good. Do good. To who? Among yourselves, among God's people, and to all men. That's what it says in Galatians 6. Do not get in for tit for tat with other people. You you don't do that. Christians don't do that. The Bible says don't do this among yourselves. And, and, and don't do this to all people. There are two types of sins. There's the sins of commission. These are the ones that you commit. And then there are sins of omission. These are sins that you omit. Sins of omissions are the ones that when you know what you're supposed to do, but you don't do it. And we are just as guilty as when we do something that God's told us not to do. James chapter 4 verse 17. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, it is sin. It's a sin. The Bible says we're to do good unto all, especially unto the household of faith. 1 Timothy six seventeen and 18, charge them that are rich in this world. Now, you may halt there and say, well, that's not me. Listen, everybody in this room is richer than most people in this world. Now, you may not be in America, but according to the income of, of the standard of the world you are, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. This is our faith. God is our source. God gives us richly, I like this, all things to enjoy. Uh, Don't ever look at someone that maybe has more than you and and begrudge them. I've told the story of, of a dear man and a precious lady. They 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 bought a new van, a really nice van, and many years ago. And after the service, I was meeting with him back here, and he said, uh, he said, "Well, I, I bought a van." I said, "You did?" I said, well, "Where is it?" He said, well, I, I parked it back here. I didn't want anybody to see it. I said, "Well, why?" He said, "Well, I I, I just I was embarrassed about it." I said, "No," I said, "I, I want to see it." You know. You know, we're really quick sometimes to, and well, I bought, but I got it on sale. You know, we don't want to, we always want to kind of communicate to people that we're funny, aren't we? God gives us richly all things to enjoy. All things to enjoy. Th- that they do good. Are you reading here? That they do good. When God gives you stuff, share it. Do good. And be rich in good works. Not just in money, but in good works. And look at this ready to distribute. The word ready there has the idea of a surrendered will. Okay, I will. I'm ready. If God calls me to do it, yeah, I've got a loose hand on it. Okay, I'll give you that. I'm ready. And willing to communicate, the word communicate means to share. Ready has to do with my will. Willing has to do with my attitude. Ready says I want to or or, I will. Willing says I want to. Okay, I will. I want to. This is a happy person. God's been good to me and I want to be good to other people. This, This is a wonderful person that enjoys life. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 27 says, Withhold not good from them to whom it is due, when it is in the power of thine hand to do it. Oh, that's a, that's a powerful verse. Withhold not good from them to whom it is due, when it is in the power of thine hand to do it. One day you wish you had given to that friend or... You had given to your parents. First word there, withhold. What does that mean? Here, here's a person that's not ready and they're not willing. Their, their will is not surrendered and they don't have a good attitude, so they just withhold all their life. They're not sowing, they're sowing to themselves. And I'll tell you, they're not happy either. The Bible says in Titus chapter 2 and verse 14 that Jesus gave himself for us that, in order that. Not just so you could go to heaven, but in order that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar art. By the way, some people like that and say, you know, they they haven't washed their clothes and their ties aren't crooked and, you know, their shirt's not ironed. Man, i tell you what God says. We're to be a peculiar people. That's not what that means. It doesn't mean odd. It means peculiar unto oneself. God doesn't want you to be a weirdo. Peculiar has the idea of that belongs. It's peculiar unto me. That's mine. Purify unto himself. a pecu- that You're mine. Rick, you belong to me. You're my son. You're my daughter. Look at this. Zealous, zealous of good works. Note the word zealous there. The root is zeal. You know what it means? It it means, the, the root word means is it means to burn. And it has out of being passionate about good works. it goes back to i'm ready and i'm willing i love to serve because i have a servant's heart some of you don't enjoy serve service because it's you you feel encumbered upon you're not ready you've never surrendered your will to god i'm going to talk to you next week i'm not going to be able to get into it in hebrews 10 about how to do this um and it will it'll transform your life and it how it works in a local church it works in your home it works at work it works everywhere very practical on how to how to help you be able to do these things and it transforms the church most of all it transforms your life one of the verse i want you to look at in james chapter 2 and verse 15. James 2.15, if a brother or sister, let's just stop there. Now, is he talking about your blood brother and sister? No. He's talking about Christian brothers and sisters. Now, you better do that for your brothers. I'd do anything for Hoss. My sister's gone. I tried to uh, take good care of Melanie while she was here. And I sure wouldn't do anything for my brother but he's talking about my spiritual brothers and sisters. The brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food. Now what he's talking about here are, are, are basic needs. He's not talking about communism where people's coming, we need to equally divide everything. Communism's not in the Bible. Now God may lead you to make some major sacrifices, but that's not commanded in the Bible. But when someone has a need, It's another matter. And one of you, and I want you to see that one of you, one of you. Did you know one person can make a difference in somebody else's life? I'm amazed at how many folks uh, come and say, you know, um, Brother Rick, we, somebody in the church has this need And they need $200. And we need to take up an offering. I I don't mind doing that, but sometimes I wonder well, why why don't you do it? You know, and one of you say, because this person's just talking, depart in peace, be you warmed and filled notwithstanding you give them not the things which are needful there's that word again to the body what doth it profit even so faith if it hath not works is dead being alone because faith is always accompanied with action not just with words so what are some of the ways that we can do good to the household of faith and i want to pick that up next week i want to tell you a little story, and we're going to be dismissed. And I want you to think about, about the household of faith. I, w- I want you to think about <clears throat> that expression, doing good to the household of faith. I want you to think about the people in our church. I don't want you to just think about your friends. I want you to think about your friends that you are like and that you like. There's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes people talk about cliques in the church when most of the people are in one. You're going to get along with other people better. That's okay. I'm not saying that, but I want you to think about everybody. Think about everybody. Say, what are some needs they have? What can I do? One person can make a difference. Occasionally, we'll take up an other's offering. Another's offering is a confidential offering that, that we will take up because someone has a specific need. <clears throat> Many years ago, we had a, a school teacher in our ministry. And I saw her. And I saw that she had her classes taped. And then uh, the next day, I saw her again, and I talked to her. I knew her pretty well. I said, hey, uh, did you break your glasses? Yeah, I broke them. I got to go get them fixed. And I knew she didn't have the money to fix them. Now, I wear glasses. I know how much getting new glasses costs. And typically, I could tell where the break was. This is not something you go in and put a pin in, and she's going to need whole new frames. And sometimes um, you need a whole new prescription. Those things only last two years, and it's a whole rigmarole. And so um, I came to the church family and I said, Hey, listen, uh, there's another's offering. There's someone that has a special need in our church, and it's a real need. I want you to pray about it, and I want you to give to it. And Paula and I gave to it. We gave at that time what was a sacrifice for us. And I said, "Now, if you, if you, if you want to know who it is, you can come to me, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, because I don't want to hide anything. Don't want to make people think." And uh, anyhow, we took the money up, and and there was plenty of much more money than was needed. What she needed. More than just glasses, it was a blessing. And so, wrote her a little note, put the check in there of appreciation, and that God was, had His eye on her, He would take care of her. And then Pam, who who was the only one that knew about financial matters, and she never she never told me things like this. I mean, never. But she broke protocol this one time. And she said, uh, I wanted to tell you something. I probably shouldn't, but I think you might want to know. She said, This past Sunday night, when you took up that offering for, and, and mentioned the lady's name, she, she gave an offering. I, I thought about the lady, I thought about the lady who, in the Gospels, who, who gave of her own lack. She, she didn't have money. Oh, it touched my heart. It still does. At this precious lady, her glasses were broken, who had her own needs, said, I want to give. I want to help my brothers and sisters. And she had no idea that she was sowing seed into her own benefit. I'm asking the Lord to help me, and to help our church to to be a a generous church. Not that we're not, but not just financially. I don't mean just financially, but it, but in every area across the board. And we'll talk about this some more next week. Would you bow your head with me? Maybe you're here today, and you're not in the household of faith. You've never trusted Christ as your Savior. If you were to die right now you don't you're not a hundred percent sure that you'll go to hell.